Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I am your host, songwriter Matt Targa. Thanks for joining us today. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background, our guest today is no stranger to the program. She is one M.R. Morrison. Miss Morrison is an artist and poet of We Doubt the Call, Even As We Answer It. At the present, she is no stranger to travel, which is an integral element to her practice as an artist and a newly minted yoga instructor. Some of her current projects include a design for a board game and her second collection of poetry. For our conversation today, we are going to be talking about the debut studio album by Patti Smith. That, of course, is Horses. And uh, Horses was recorded with her band at Electric Lady Studios way back in August of 1975. And it was released on November 10th by Arista Records. So without further ado, Megan, it's great to have you again here. Welcome back to Cover to Cover. So glad to be back. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. What uh, what inspired you to choose Horses by Patti Smith? So actually, originally, um, when you approached me, was this two, two years ago? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, about coming on the program, Horses was one of the first albums that came to my mind. I ended up going with Tragic Kingdom um, by No Doubt, which was an excellent choice at the time. And I have to say that part of that choice was based on the fact that, well, the idea that when horses came into my mind, I was like, oh no, I'm not ready to do that justice. I'm not ready to, to talk about that one yet. Um, because it, I think, truly was one of the most influential albums for me at a very young age. And then throughout the decade since, as I've listened to it and grown as a human and gone through my own experiences in life, um, because Horses is so much about Patti Smith's experiences um, as a, oh gosh, I don't even, you can't define her. She's like, she's, I th- I've heard her called the godmother of punk. To me, and what I've really kind of, I guess, begun to realize about her as I've gotten older is punk was just her medium. Like, she's not just a musician. She's She's a poet. She's an artist. She's she's a creative wanderer. Um, there's this rawness to horses that feels like a live album, a live or a live performance rather. And I think a lot of that is attributed to the fact that horses was largely written during live performances. This was music that she had been playing with her band for a few years leading up to when she uh, signed on to record with, um, was it, forgetting the name of the, Astera Records? Oh, Arista, yeah. Arista, yeah. Um, She signed on with them. And so there's there's just this rawness to her music, which lends itself to punk, right? But she's also, she's very interested in, in literature and and poetry, so she's very influenced by the beat poets um, and some French pre-surrealist poets. Um, there's something really just like haunting and 
ceremonial to this album. I would say that there's a lot of feel of, of ritual, um, which I think is very prominent, even in the title to the, the opening track, um, Gloria in a Chelsea's Deo, um, which is an adaptation of, um, Van Morrison's song, Gloria. Um, Oh my gosh, you're going to play the opening lines, right? For them, like you have to, there's like (laughs) that, like those keys come in and you're like, what are we leading to? And it almost, it almost, it almost has this like organ like feel like you're in church, like you're coming to the altar and her voice comes in with this like proclamation of accountability and she's cutting to the point. She's like, nope, this is what this is about. Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. And I remember hearing that when I was like nine years old. Um, great music for a nine-year-old, right? My dad had great taste in music. Um, <laughs> and I was like, yes, yeah. she gets it. She gets it. Like, no, these are mine. Like, I'm not going to give them away. I mean, this is my interpretation of this and my experience. And the lenses I place on that, right, with my experience, because that's the beautiful thing about music is it's like putting on a pair of glasses. You're still seeing your world, but it's being colored by this other voice somehow has had this similar experience to you that you thought was so unique and only yours. Um, I think I read somewhere that Patti Smith, when she talked about about what this album was, she said that it was she was trying to make an album for a certain type of person out there that felt lonely, a certain type of person that was like her. She's like, I wasn't trying to make a hit record, which I mean, I feel like that's what all musicians say. I wasn't trying to make a hit record. I was just trying to talk to the people, but there's a part of me that really believes her because, because she's continued to create art and ruminate and explore throughout her entire life. Like this is a, a woman, a human being, you know, this is her youth and this is the beginning, but there was so much more that came after this. Um, goodness, I don't even know where else to, where else, what else to say, where else to go. Um, it sounds like she opened a portal for you. Oh yeah, she did. And I think, you know, it was like, she was, she was unapologetically strong and hard in a world that wanted her to be soft. You know, this was pretty, this, this album was put out in 1975. She's she's a human, a woman that I keep saying human because I think there's something inherently androgynous about Patti Smith. Um, and I think she was able to, in a way, really step out of, she just refused to fit in it to any framework of or definition of what a woman or femininity was. Um I think that's, and I think that's one of the things that really got me about it was, was that like, you know, she's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be that. That's not who I am. That's not what I am. This is what I am. You see that even in the cover of her album, um, which is this absolutely monumental, beautiful black and white photograph uh, taken by um, Robert Maplethorpe, who's a very famous photographer, friend, lover, soulmate of Patti Smith's. Um, They were actually married for like five years. Um, and I think really like moved through the late sixties into the seventies of New York together. Um, he took this, just this picture of her where she's, she's just staring at the camera, like 
this is who I am. This is how I am. Come at me, as they say. Right, come at me, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was it, and it's it's like she. I, I think she was like. I'm trying to think. I remember reading somewhere where she was like, I was just trying to look like, um, like Charles Baudelaire, like she, cause she was into all of these poets and, and literary figures. And she was like, I was just trying to, to take on that persona. This is just me. I was just wearing the things that are me. But I think that's so often, that's so apparent. Her authenticity is so apparent in this photograph. Um, yeah, and I think I had read. All, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go. What were you going to say? <laughs> no, all I was going to say was I. I think I had read somewhere that uh, the photographer maybe had taken close to a dozen shots, and right around the seventh or eighth photo, yeah, I think we got it. Yeah, that's it. She's like, "How do you know?" And he's yeah. like, "I just know. We've got it. We have it." Um, and it's also you know too within the context of of visual art because it is that. I mean, album arts are visual art. You and I have had this conversation more times than I can count. Uh. But it was also an album cover that was created by a very, a, a now very well-known photographer. It's this reversal of of the 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 female body um, and how that's re- represented in art. And this, like, you know, she's looking right into the camera. It's not she's demanding that you acknowledge her as a person rather than an object. Um, so it has this real like howl of of femininity and feminist stance to it um she's i just read this somewhere recently because i was kind of bulking up my knowledge on patty smith horses to make sure i had enough to talk about for this um but she's wearing a small pin on her shirt of a horse um and i didn't realize that i don't i didn't make this connection until now but it was given to her by um alan lemire of Oyster Cult, who she was dating at the time, and is one of the musicians that played on it with her, which I think is super cool. And I don't know how I missed that in the Patti Smith uh, readings that I've done in the past. That's a fun factoid that's kind of you know buried in the background. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to depending mention on how you album. look at the photograph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and not to mention, like this album was produced by um, by John Cale of, of the Velvet oh. Underground, so. I think from everything I've read was a very challenging experience for him and for Patty. Um, <laughs> I think, I think the story has changed over time. Initially, I think I was reading that she was pretty uh, scathing in her reviews of his contributions to the album. And then kind of later on, probably with more life and experience realized that like, that's actually how the recording experience is. And, but that in itself is, is, an important opportunity right to have something to push against um i i think he really did an amazing job of helping to capture her raw and ener- her just raw energy friends we're chatting with megan morrison here on cover to cover with matt tarka about all things patty smith and her debut offering to the world horses an excellent debut um we're starting to talk about a lot of the personnel for this record Mm-hmm. Who are some of the other people that got involved from a production point of view alongside John Cale? Um, from the I know there was someone else they were going to hire originally, and then there was issues with um, his affiliations with Atlantic, I think, or Capital, one of the other. 
big recording albums, but the, all of the performers on on the album were were Patti Smith's actual band. So uh, John, or sorry, J.D. Doherty um, was on drums. There was Lenny Kay on guitar, which I think Lenny Kay still plays with her. I saw her live like 10 years ago and yeah. still playing with her. I think he I think um, he does still play with her. And he also has a new book out, you know, at, at the time gosh. of our conversation here. Have you heard about this? Yeah. Lightning no, striking. I actually. Oh yeah, yeah. It's called Lightning Striking: oh. Ten Transformative Moments in Rock and Roll. So that could be an interesting oh, read cool. for anybody interested in, you know, Patti Smith's longtime collaborator. Yeah, um, and when then there was um, Ivan Kroll on bass and uh, Richard Soul on keyboards. And it's mm-hmm. it's those keys at the beginning of Gloria. Those haunting, like, love, oh, beautiful. Yeah. He's um and then of course um we had we had John Kell producing and I, I read somewhere else too that he had to buy them all new instruments before they could record the album because they sounded so terrible because they were playing on broken instruments. <laughs> <laughs> um which again is just like feels like so par for the course of the times, you know. Um <laughs> coming in like that. Yeah. Um, I think Tom Verlaine uh, from television appears on one track too, right? He does. So they were kind of Um, running in the same um, circles, you know, in the CBGB days, the mid to late seventies. Okay. Yeah. They had a residency together, Patti Smith's band and and television. They were playing there together. Um, So yeah, he's one of the recording musicians. And then again, her, her boyfriend at the time, um, Alan Lemire from Blue Oyster Cult also played on on a few of the tracks um, in physical form. And then I would mm-hmm. also say that in spirit, there was a lot of other musicians playing or being channeled by Patti Smith. I was, when I was listening to it this week, I was listening to horses this week to kind of, I mean, I actually listen to it pretty often because I love it so much, but to pr- prepare myself for this, I was really struck by, this this feel in in Gloria of which is the opening track of and I think I, I had feelings of this when I was younger too, but it really feels like she's like conjuring these these I don't want to call them gods, but like these heroes or saints of of the craft of of rock and roll music um, that had that had since passed on. And then there's there's mention that several of the songs are later on are actually paying homage to like Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison who were um, very influential, I think in her experience when she was younger. And then also she talks about how she was trying to, with, with horses, she was trying to rejuvenate rock and roll music. Like things had gotten, the music had gotten really calm in the sixties because of the climate um, in the world. And we had, then lost a lot of these musicians um, that were really integral to that. So it was like horses has to do with like getting yourselves back, like getting every, getting it all back together. We're like pulling on the reins and like recharging ourselves so that we can let the horses loose again and make some really amazing um, inspired music. Um, I'm trying to remember which break. Uh, I'm trying to remember which one it is. There's, because there's one of the songs, Break It Up, 
which is the sixth track on the album, is is about Patti Smith visiting um, Pierre Lachaise Cemetery in Paris, where uh, Jim Morrison is, Morrison is buried. I mean, it's also where uh, like Gertrude Stein, Oscar Wilde, uh, Marcel Proust, Frédéric Chopin, the list goes on. Edith Piaf, it's one of the largest cemeteries in Paris. It's a pretty, you know, pretty, pretty big deal, but it's, it's about her visiting his grave there. Um, when she was in her, when she was in her twenties. So I feel like within the album, there's all of these other voices that she's channeling through her. And although it is a recorded album and there are several songs like Gloria that are adaptations of other musicians and other artists work, there's a lot of, there's, still this feel of improvisation and then really like Patti Smith's her poetry. There's these beautiful like pieces that feel more like spoken word with musical accompaniment, which I think initially was kind of what she was doing, which brings me back again to my, my feeling that like Patti Smith was an artist and punk was her medium. It wasn't her genre. It was, it was her medium. It was a way for her to express her, her experiences, um, having grown up in a very, very religious family. She, her, her parents were Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, I'd say blue collar. Her mom worked as like a servant. Her dad worked for, I want to say Honeywell. Um, and that's a, you know, that's a, not to get into religions, but that's a religion that has, is a very closed community experience. So, you know, breaking out, and moving to New York and really making these big decisions in her life, those are the themes there, you know? It's like making some again, like she said, making something for a certain type of person so that they don't have to feel alone. Someone that was like me, someone that was different. Friends, we're talking with a poet, an artist, Megan Morrison here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka, all things. Patty Smith, all things horses. Um where well, shall I mean, we begin? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've already talked a lot about the opening track, Gloria, which to me has, you know, just, there's like, you can't, you can't help but continue to listen after those opening lines of Jesus died for somebody's sins, not, but not mine. Yeah. It's arresting, isn't it? Yeah. That- and, she, um, and she follows that up with melting in a pot of thieves, wild card up my sleeve, thick heart of stone. My sins, my own, they only belong to me. And and then and then the song starts to pick up pace. And that's where like I can like I can feel her moving even in this music. Like I can visualize the way she is, her presence on stage when I'm when I'm hearing these things and hearing these words and that that to me is she's she's conjuring something. She's she's bringing us into her world. She's inviting us to walk through a portal, which it's interesting that you said that, especially with, I guess that aesthetic resonates with me deeply. That's what I would say. A lot of my work has to do with portals. So of course, maybe very early influence to some of that. Um, and then so I'm trying to think what's, which tracks I want to, I want to talk about the most. I, I, I feel like it's, it's one of those albums for me that it, it exists in its entirety. Like it's, it's a journey. So 
you have to go through the whole album. It's one of those, like, I have kind of a rule, like, with vinyl that I only buy vinyl if it's an album where I like all the songs. And that's probably just to stop myself from buying too much vinyl. Um, I'm like, no, I can't buy that album because, like, I usually skip those songs. Um, but it lends itself to that experience, too, right? Um, I originally I originally listened to this album on CD because it was the late 90s. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what you listen to things on if you were lucky. Yeah. Though I imagine my, again, my, my father introduced me to, to Patti Smith and a lot of interests have, have come from him. That was something that was a real, um, that was a real way that my brother and I bonded with my father was our interest in music. And my dad was really into to punk music and grunge music. So I, you know, I grew up listening to that stuff. Um, and loving it. Very, very fond memories. Um, but I do now, I do now own horses on vinyl. I imagine my father and it on vinyl as well. I actually know he does. He just doesn't let us listen to his vinyl. He's very protective of his collection. Um, but I I do have a copy of it on vinyl now. Um, and I love listening to it that way. I think actually my mother gave it to me. She she gave me a copy of Patti Smith Horses and she gave me a Joan Baez album and Joni Mitchell Blue. Um, I was like, oh, okay. She's like, see, she's like, see, yeah. I know, I know music too. And I'm like, no one ever questioned. Me. Everything's a competition with my family. Um, <laughs> see, like she'll be listening to this and she'll be like, oh, your father introduced you to music. Well. Yeah. Who bought you the album? <laughs> um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll shout out to mom and dad there. Um, <laughs> nice. Um, but I would say too that I, when I was listening to this album when I was younger, um, I would listen to Gloria like three times in a row and then my dad would be like, okay, we, we're going to listen to the whole album now. Stop repeating the same song. Um, and there have been other songs that I have I have come to love and understand better in the decades, in my decades of experience now with Patti Smith horses of living and learning and loving with Patti Smith horses. You're a seasoned listener. I, I, you find a good album. Why? I mean, what's the point of something you can only listen to once, right? Honestly, the, the way I just sort of live through life, if I really like an artist, I'll buy something on CD and vinyl so I can travel with it and then sit with it. <laughs> I remember we there were certain yeah. things when I was growing up where we'd have the CD and the cassette version because the mm-hmm. cassette was for the car at that point in time. Right. Yeah, dating myself here, right? Um, love that though. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say one of one of the the songs that my experience of has evolved over time, but has always been very interesting to me is Birdland, um, which I think is kind of one of the kind of scat poetry right uh yeah it's very yeah. beat it's very beat poets mm-hmm. like she really paints a picture for you with it um it's like about this young man who inherits a farm in new england from his father which again like my my dad's from new england so it's just like all those little connections that make things about you know oh this is for me this is for me mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's at his, he's at his father's funeral and he kind of like, I don't know, imagines, hallucinates, actually witnesses this experience of his father, like 
ascending, his spirit ascending, um, like in a UFO type situation. So there's this like kind of almost sci-fi transcendental feel to it. Um, I find the exact lyric I want to, I want to point out because it's the one that gets me every single time I read it as a poet and just a human. Um, <laughs> is this about the radar scope and all its silver and all uh, platinum lights? Is that the it's, one? It's before that. It's um, It was as if someone had spread butter on all the fine points of the stars. Because when he looked up, they started to slip. Whew. That's chilling. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like, it, it's led up to where she she interjects these ideas of color. So like right before that, it's like, um, looking at the shiny red tractor, him and his daddy used to sit inside and circle the blue fields and grease the night. It was as if someone had spread butter on all the fine points of the stars. Because when he looked up, they started to slip. Hmm. And it's, it's her words, there's, she's moving you through this landscape and, and guiding you through this experience. Um, I also very much enjoy, and I think this was this was very intentional um, that she she switches her um, her pronouns and her perspectives in a lot of her music. Like a lot of times, she seems to be taking on this male persona, and I think that's a you know it's, a, it's called a feminism. It's a call to things that are way beyond their time or before their time, but it's also I think just like an artist being like no this is my voice. This is my perspective. And that's, that's bigger than me as well. Um, I know that's something that uh, Joan Baez did. And I, I'm sure she's referencing that because Patti Smith is too intelligent not to be at least at this point aware of how influenced she is by everything around her. Um, it's just, but it, it, and it's a beautiful, like that song in itself, Birdland is a beautiful pause or not a pause. It's a beautiful kind of resting space after the energy of um, of the first two songs um, of of Gloria, which is a real like call to arms, calling of the guard, um, God in the highest, redefining what that means to um, Redondo Beach, which is I think it's a song that's about. I think it's a song about, I mean, it's a, it's a song about a girl committing suicide after getting in a fight, but I read somewhere that it was like based on an ex- experience of her and her sister getting into a fight. Her sister didn't commit suicide, but she left. And then it was like her mind going, what could have happened? Um, but again, in that beautiful kind of nursery rhyme fashion, it's, it's very light and breezy and, and kind of beachy. And um, the music doesn't necessarily match the, the tonality of the language. Um, so I feel like Birdland is this kind of beautiful pause. Uh, it's like a deep, clear pool to, to look at an experience that you're invited into. Um, and it is the way that I hope my spoken word poems resonate with people someday. Like it's, I think, I think I can say with some clarity, it has had a huge influence on me as a poet myself. We're talking with poet and artist Megan Morrison here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka. I'll be dropping a link into the show notes of where you can check out 
various mediums in which she creates. And we're spending a lot of time, extensive amount of time talking about Patty Smith's horses. Um, Megan, where should we travel next in this uh, canon of songs that is horses? Um, let's talk about Kimberly. All right. Uh, Kimberly is the fifth track on the album. Um, and again, a lot of Patty Smith's songs are lyrics, I would say, are drawn from her own personal experiences. Um, Kimberly is the name of one of her sisters and not, not the sister she got in a fight with, I believe. I think that was... I want to say Linda, but it might be just pulling that name out of thin air. Um, but Kimberly was a younger sister, so it, it this in the song she talks about she's singing about holding her young sister, her infant sister, during a storm, during a thunderstorm. And just a funny little little anecdote. I, this was a song I really liked when I was. It was one of my favorites at the time when I was about eleven or twelve, um, which was around the time that my youngest brother was born. Um, and my, uh, my mother had a natural home birth with my youngest two siblings. So we were in the house while she was giving birth, which let me tell you, that is certainly a way to scare your children out of having children young. Um, <laughs> really put things in perspective for you. Uh, at least, at least as a, a female identifying person with a womb, you're like, oh, oh wow, okay. Um, my mom sounds like she's dying, dying. <laughs> but I remember being sitting in my bedroom with my my brother and my sister. My brother is like, I was twelve, so he was like seven or eight, and then my sister is like a year and a half. I'm holding my baby sister, and I remember humming the song to myself <laughs> because it felt very similar <laughs> and to her. We were, you know, just doing anything to distract them from what was going on in the other room or, in Patty Smith's case, outside of the house. <laughs> but you know, phenomenal cosmic power type of <laughs> type of thing. Um. Really beautiful, really interesting, and really interesting how music does that for us, right? It again, it was it was something for her, and then it was something for me that was related, and in that way, our experiences are linked. I suppose that can be said of a lot of forms of art, um, but I think music plays so much, pun intended, to our emotions and sympathies and nostalgia that all it takes is two bars and I'm back in that body, in that place, in that moment. And in that way, I it's also that. a portal. What's next after Kimberly, Megan? <laughs> um, <laughs> the next song after Kimberly is Break It Up, which I discussed a little bit earlier, um, which is about visiting Jim Morrison's grave in Paris. Um, I've ever done a little bit more reading about too. Um, Patty Smith is is also an author, as long with being a poet, is also an author. Has written several memoirs, um, and and other books. One of a probably the best known being Just Kids, which is about the time that her time in her life that a lot of this music was being written and her experiences. Um, it predominantly focuses around her time and partnership in all of its forms with Robert Maplethorpe 
Um, but she talks about she talks about that exp- that experience of going going to Paris and it being this kind of like a pilgrimage because he was someone that she really really idolized and admired as as a writer and creator. Um, I think it's just kind of interesting for her coming from a religious back from a very religious upbringing um, and living in a time period where we had there was a lot of death and reverence and reverence and death for a lot of musicians that died too young mm-hmm. by our definitions. Yeah. The 27 club. Yeah. And I can see how, you know, I think, I think it, when you, when you grow up in a very, in a very religious family or household and you, you're someone that steps away from that, you find, you find substitutes for a lot of that understanding. So where is that reverence now placed? Um, now that you've told God you don't need him to deal with your sins because they're yours. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a it's a powerful declaration to, o- to open any piece of art, in this case, yeah, a record. And, yeah. I mean, you know, I full disclosure, I'm <clears throat> I'm not a I'm not a person that doesn't believe in a in a higher power. I believe in I believe in a lot of things. Um, but I think for me on my, cause I, that's one of the underlying tones here that I think that this album was very, was also a very spiritual experience for me because it helped me along my exploration of my understanding of power in the highest, we'll say, um, in whatever form that takes. Um, but then also as, as a creative person, as an artist, because to me, art is, art is spiritual. It's a way of connecting to that, being being a creator um, of something, even if it is a narrative or a declaration of our human experience. Oh, the other cool thing that I just, I read the other day about it is the last track on the album, um, Elegy, was, is, is about Jimi Hendrix. And, well, it's actually about, there's also like references to... Um, uh, William Burr's protagonist from The Wild Boys, Johnny. It's also a little bit about Robert Maplethorpe and the S&M scene in New York. Like, there's there's la- always layers in her stuff, but it was it was also um, Jimi Hendrix was one of the people that she was she was admiring and honoring in that track, and it was at her request recorded on the anniversary of his death, right before like right before the album was done recording. Just that was cool and again plays into that idea of ritual and ceremony and and reverence megan it's been such a pleasure to have you on the program once again thank you so much for being here this has been great talking about all things patty smith and horses Yeah. yeah i have to say one other patty smith thing yeah sure because it's i feel like just the most punk rock thing that she could have ever done um she was married to robert maplethorpe for five years um I think largely to appease his Catholic mother. Um, but uh, they they got divorced so that she could marry Fred Sonic Smith of the MC5. And I have to say, marrying someone with the same last name as you so that you don't have to change your name is, I mean, that's a, that's a life goal. <laughs> now, I'm not saying marry someone in your family, but... <laughs> There's enough Smiths in the world that they are very, very just, dis- you know. 
<laughs> Megan, it's it's always wonderful talking with you. I'm really glad we could do this again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks so much to all of you for taking some time to stop by the program today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you very much. And please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to your favorite podcast, whether that's on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, or maybe even Amazon. Take a moment to tell a friend or tell some of your family members about our show. Let us know how much you like the show by giving us a good rating. That will certainly help us appear higher in search results. And feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. We hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover. <laughs>